0: You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve both. And now, let's listen in to this week's sermon. I'm going to wander around just a little bit in Mark and Luke for a short time, but we're going to end up with our primary scripture today, starting in Luke, the fifth chapter, verse 17. I want to go back and kind of catch Eric talked about the man with leprosy. I want to take a a different gospel writer's view of that just very briefly to help kind of set up the start of our day. I want to pick it up at uh, the first chapter of Mark, and it's verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him, came to Jesus, and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, can you make me clean? Now, most of the scriptures, or mine does, it says, Jesus was indignant. But when you go in and you actually do the study and understand what that really means in this, in this particular circumstance, it's really Jesus was moved with compassion at what the man told him. He said he reached out his hand and he touched the man, and Jesus said, I am willing. And he told him, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. He said, you'll love this, okay? It kind of reminds me a lot of stuff. See that you don't tell this to anyone. That's what he did. He sent him away and he said, see that you don't tell this to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Leviticus 14, actually, it gives you a whole process of, when some leper wants to it feels like they've been cleansed and they're coming back to the community. And so what he's saying is, is what I want you to do. Don't tell anybody, I want you to go to the priest, follow the old testament way of understanding what to do to emerge from this leprosy. Because what they're gonna do is they're gonna say, Okay, yeah, I know you had leprosy, now you don't. So really it becomes kind of a documented case, if you will. Instead, just talking about the man, instead he went out and he began to talk freely spreading the news. listen to this. as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly but stayed outside in lonely places. yet the people still came to him from everywhere. This is a strange thing. it's a, it's a thing I read, but I thought this is this is a, one of those profound statements that that I ran across. I thought this is this is what David Gulick said he said, It's strange that the one Jesus told to tell no one told everyone. But for we Christians, we are commanded to tell everyone and often don't tell anyone. Okay, let me just say it again, just repeat it, okay? It's funny that this man, he said, don't tell anyone, but when he left, he went and told everyone. But scripture, gospel commands us to tell everyone. But do we do that? So often, we're quiet. In Luke, the fourth chapter, in verse 42, again, some background. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when, when, when they came to where he was, he tried to, to keep him, they tried to keep him, Jesus, tried to keep Jesus from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns. Also, because that is why, why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogue. So he's, he's making the statement that what did he come for? What did he come for? Jesus was obviously drawing a lot of attention. And with that became all the critics that would come along. Because, believe me, those, the, those miracles, those things that happened, they drew a lot of attention. But see, when critics come, they come with the gotcha thing going on. Because what they're doing is they're looking for opportunities, whether it's critics in your life or critics in Jesus' life, they're looking for opportunities to see inconsistencies. Now these, these guys, they were looking for inconsistencies, so things that Jesus would say that were contrary to the Jewish law or to their traditions. All right, now we're down to 517. That's where we're going to start. Luke 5, verse 17. All this hopefully has kind of set up the process for us. It says, one day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. So he's, he's gathering a crowd. You know, some of them are people that want to know what he says. Some are critics, but he's gathering a crowd. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could find no way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on a mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And I would say if you needed some mates, if you needed some friends, that's a pretty good group to surround you with because they weren't taking no for an answer. They were going to get the man in front of this healer to try to help their friend. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven now you can read that at face value and people do and and so what they see is they see this man he's lowered down through the on mat he obviously is not capable of walking and so they lower him down through the on this mat into the group and what does jesus say he said friend your sins are forgiven now some people will kind of t- take a and Add B to get this C formula. And what they're saying was, well, obviously the man had sin in his life. And because he had sin in his life, and he would have had sin in his life, right? We all have sin in our life. But because he had sin in his life, well, that's what it afflicted him. That's why he couldn't walk, why he couldn't do the things that others would do that were getting around on two legs. But see, it appears to me, read it for yourself, but it appears to me that what was really happening is Jesus was addressing the most precious need the man had. Now you might say, well, that was walking. But is that truly the most precious need the man had? One author that I read said this. He said, what good was it that a man had two whole legs and walked right into hell on them? Let me read it again. What good is it that a man has two whole legs and he walks right into hell on them. He goes on, he said, Jesus was, was addressing the paralyzed man's most serious issues in life, which was his salvation. Eric last week made the statement that, that in, in these scripture, it becomes plain that Jesus, his primary mission was actually teaching and preaching the gospel. He did healing, but that wasn't his primary mission. That wasn't his emphasis. In verse 21, still in chapter 5, it says, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to, to, to begin thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins alone? Well, they were, they were always caught in this decision process because they had to come to this conclusion. Either this guy is who he says he is, He really is divine. He really is this heir, this son, this some kind of extension of God. Or he's blaspheming. It's got to be one of the two. There's no no room in between. So they were asking themselves the question, who is this guy? Who's this guy that's blaspheming? Who's this guy that says that he alone, he can forgive sins when really we know God is the only one that can do that? In verse 22, he goes on, he says, Jesus knew that what they were thinking, you know, they didn't have to tell him, he knew what they were thinking. He says, why are you thinking those things in your hearts? He he speaks to his critics and he says, which is easier to you? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say to that man, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he, he heard what was... These, in his mind, he already knew what they were thinking. So you ask him the question, "Well, which would be the hardest to say, oh, your sins are forgiven, or get up off of the, and walk. Get off of your mat and walk. I think it's interesting because I, as I read that, I'm, I'm, I, I'm a slow learner, I guess, because every time I kind of run over some of these things, I go, you know, what did I learn about that before? But interestingly, he says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. See, it seems that he was not, you know, in my mind I'm thinking, well, if I'm really the Son of God and I'm trying to convince people, I, would, I wouldn't call myself the Son of Man. I'd call myself the Son of God, right? You know, it'd be very, you'd take all the guesswork out of it. But what Jesus was doing is he was he was saying, he was explaining his humanity. Because he was all God, right? You agree? He he was all God, but he was also all man. He was the fruit of a woman. And so he he was he was both things, fully God, fully man. And we and, and we we see when we study that he calls himself son of man on many, many occasions of scripture. But then, if you do some research, and, and ideally these critics of his should know these things. They studied scripture. They memorized scripture in the Old Testament. But if you go back to Daniel seven, in the ch- in the seventh chapter of Daniel, he refers to the Son of Man, and he refers to the Son of Man as not just a human form, but he refers to the he calls this the Son of Man as a highly exalted heavenly figure. So Jesus not only is saying, I'm human, but he's also saying, if you understand scripture, I'm also this highly exalted heavenly figure. So we pick it back up again, and and he said, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and he went home praising God. Everyone was amazed, and they gave praises to God. They were filled with awe. We have seen remarkable things today. That's what Scripture says. We have seen remarkable things today. So earlier we said, you know, that Jesus' primary mission was really to proclaim the good news. We often call it the gospel. But healing, we just read, as this man on the mat, as he was lowered down through the roof, you have to admit, that would have a dramatic effect, right? Because in this particular situation, these people saw a literal miracle, okay? Now this person that was healed was undoubtedly, he was a a homie, he was a townie, right? He wasn't somebody that came to, to town with the carnival crew that nobody knew, and then miraculously was restored to something, and you would wonder, was he really restored or not? See, these people, they they knew this man on the mat, and they knew that he had life challenges. They knew that he couldn't walk. So let's stay on point with me just for a minute, because what we've seen is we've seen the dramatic effect, and I'm not saying that I'm not saying that the dramatic effect of it. I'm not trying to say that's a negative thing. Because, because Jesus used that as a means to draw people to him so they would listen to what he had to say. So let's stay on point for a minute. And let's go back to verse 26. It says this. It says, Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. See, I would suggest to you that most of us have seen remarkable spiritual things in our life. I would suggest that to you. See, we see these things, we see them memorialized in Scripture. They've been written down. They've been passed through centuries and centuries and centuries, just like the count of the man on the mat. Now, how do you memorialize the things that you've seen? If you've had things in your life, How have you memorialized those things? When you've had things that you've seen, maybe it's uh, changes that have occurred in your life where you know there was a significant difference, a shift in what you believed and about your your spiritual awakening. Maybe it was times and events that there was absolutely, when when that, that event or that particular circumstance took place, You said, there is absolutely not one chance in the world that that could have been anything but God. Or perhaps these spiritually remarkable things in your life, maybe they've been a new peace that takes the place and and pushes out the turmoil, and all of a sudden your life gains new peace. See, some have the talent to... To capture the words and write books, and bookstores are filled with, plate, with things where people have memorialized things. Maybe it's about heaven or a life change or moving from addiction, whatever those things are. The bookstores are full of things that memorialize those kind of events. For most of us, the way we memorialize it, frankly, is giving public testimony and I'm not talking about a kind of testimony where you have to stand up in an arena like Billy Graham, but a public testimony could be you and one other person when you're telling the story of the change in your life. See, we remor- we mem- memorialize what happened in our life because we have, We maybe it's because we've had close proximity to it. Maybe that we do our, the way we memorialize, i got a dry mouth this morning. All right, let me see if I can get this out again. We memorialize by doing this, by trying to figure out how, if I'm not writing a book, so how do I tell this story? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to be available and you have to be willing to tell the story of change in your life. We do it also by honing our testimony. Because the reality is that sometimes we don't have hours to blabber on. So we we have to figure out, how can I make my testimony succinct enough, yet clear enough, that people will understand it in time and in content? See, we started today with a man that was healed of leprosy. See, he wasn't supposed to tell anyone, right? We agree on that? Scripture said it. Go and don't tell anybody. Instead we want you to go to the priest to have this all documented and taken care of. But instead, we know he told everyone. He was so excited to be freed from that disease that he told and he retold the story to anyone who would listen. In Luke 5, the man that was let down on the ropes through the roof on his mat was healed, Scripture says. Now, Everyone, it says, Scripture says, everyone was amazed and they gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things. We have seen remarkable things. So to me, it begs this question for you and for me. Has God not done remarkable things in your life? Let me say it again. Has God not done remarkable things in your life? Think about that a minute. Just think about that a minute. Has he done remarkable things in your life? I'd be curious. I'll, you know, we don't have a mic to pass around, but I'll try to parrot them back. But if you're sitting here this morning and you know that God has done something remarkable in your life, shout it out to me. I'd like to know kind of what it is. It's great encouragement. I can trust the silence. You guys, we have to really speak up or somebody help relay. Forgiveness, okay. Yep. Forgiveness, grace, something we got that we sure didn't deserve. All right. What other remarkable things have happened in your life? Healing, all right. Physical healing, good. Moving mountains, things that just seem to be so huge and so, you know, just overwhelming that God figures out how to move those mountains. It's good. What other remarkable things? Discernment? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, and bless your heart, with your in your mission in India, you've seen a lot of specific things. You've seen miracles occur, and you've seen people's lives change, and you've seen people getting by on nothing, and then how how people reach out to help them. Grace in suffering, is that what I heard? Okay, grace in suffering, Denny. Okay. Various Good Samaritan episodes in their life that were remarkable things. Things, again, that you wouldn't... They're, they're not the things you just explain with the normal logic of the world, right? Restoration, okay? Being restored in, in health, but especially in spirit, right? Where, our, where we Where our spirit gets awakened because, boy, I tell you what, it's easy for it to go to sleep on us, isn't it? It's easy just to cruise through life and not realize that our spirit needs refresh just like our body does. See, at the most basic level, we can all say, well, remarkably, I'm saved. Even though we take that, I say we, I can't say for you, but I can tell you I take that way too lightly. What a great thing that is, that grace, that forgiveness that we have. See, for others you've been healed, you've seen healings, you've witnessed events that beyond God's intervention, there's not a way in the world that could happen and that there's no logical explanation from. So here's the takeaway that I want. I always want to leave you, as, as any of our speakers do, we want to leave you with things to think about and take away from this building why you call them the takeaway. So the takeaway I'd have for you is this. Just like the man with leprosy, who was told, don't tell anybody, but he went and told everybody. The question I'd have and the takeaway for you is this. Who have you told lately? Who have you told lately? Is your faith a a very well-kept secret? You know, that's a private thing to me, Tom. My faith is private. I don't know. Maybe you need to do some reading because the reality is, it tells us to to go ye therefore. We're supposed to spread the gospel. We're supposed to tell people about God's love, about his saving grace. But is your faith a well-kept secret? Do you share openly the good news of the kingdom of God? Do you do that? I mean, if you just think about going through a day, there's any number of times in our day, unless you're totally isolated at home like we were for a while, but if you're, if you're out in the marketplace at all, there's any number of times a day that you have an opportunity, maybe not to stand on a stool and preach, but you sure have an opportunity to provide some pearls about faith and about forgiveness and about Jesus. It's the case. See, if Jesus isn't your personal Savior today, what better day is there to do it? What better day is there to do it? So... I don't shop much, okay? I kind of go out of basic necessity. So I had to have a belt. So I want to show you. See, i got a new belt. Can you see my new belt? Pretty cool, isn't it? So the one I like, the ones I like, are adjustable belts. So what you do is, like, I have a tendency to kind of expand and not contract much. So, but these belts go in, and they kind of like have this little self-catch on the back of them. And it's kind of cool, so you get up, you move around a little bit, and you can kind of take it up a notch, you know, keep your britches up a little bit. Pretty cool idea for a belt. Well, see, I get home with the belt, and this morning I put it on for the first time. And so when I put that belt on, I thought, hmm, how do you get this thing off? So I messed with it in the bedroom for a while. Almost embarrassingly, I had to go in to Karen, and I said, Karen, I can get this belt on, but I have no idea how to get this belt off. You know, because you have to lift up something or do something in order to move to get the rest of the belt unattached. So, being smarter than me and better engineer than me, she figured out I could kind of get my hand, bef- finger behind it, and kind of pull out just right, and it would actually give it some slack. Well, see, What I hadn't thought about before then, when I put it on, is I hadn't thought that I needed an escape hatch. There'd be times I needed to get that belt off, and sometimes at my age it might be kind of fast. But see, the the thing about life is, it's just like that belt. We get constrained by a lot of stuff in life. We get headed down the wrong path. We do what I call dumb stuff. And we stay, our life stays constrained, just like my belt. Our life stays constrained because we never, or we seldom, not as frequently as we should perhaps, do we look for the escape hatch. What's the escape hatch? Put you on the spot. What do you think the escape hatch is, Eric? Faith? Christ? And so that's exactly right. And so for each of us, what we have to think about is we have to think about, you know, life has pressures, folks. I'm telling you, life has pressures. But we're given an escape hatch, and his name's Jesus. It shouldn't be a secret. It shouldn't be anything that we're intimidated about sharing with other people. If you have something good going on in your life, especially something that is literally life-changing, then why wouldn't we... Want to spread that news? Why would we keep that a secret? Why wouldn't we be like the guy with leprosy who, once he was healed, I mean, it was such a weight? Can you imagine being faced with that? Or the man on the mat? Can you imagine not telling that story? But yet, many of us sit here today with their own stories and we're like clams. And see, that's not what we're supposed to do. So I want to challenge you in that takeaway. That when you go back out on the street this week, when you're in your home, on the phone, whatever it is you're doing, just realize that we should be much more like the guy with leprosy and telling everyone than we should be trying to be quiet and keep what a wonderful thing to ourselves. Let me pray for us as the praise team comes up to close us. Father, we're so thankful that you've given us this day. We're so thankful that you've memorialized these stories these words these uh, just these great things that happened in faith lord for us to be able to refer to and talk to and actually draw applications to our own lives father we uh, we're so thankful that you sent your son this this called son of man as he referred to himself he came here and he lived as a, just as a human to understand what we go through but yet we know he was all god and, Father, again, as we, uh, as we get ready to leave this place this week, I hope that we'll embrace the thought that, really, who am I going to tell? Why would I keep that a secret? Who am I going to tell? Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship Audio Podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonte Boulevard, in Taunty Town, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.